Welcome to Translation Confidential. This is Peter Argandizo and Patrick Daly. And let's jump right into our topic for today, Translation Solutions for Schools and the Education Workspace. Um, you know, obviously it's really all about creating connection. We do um, a fair amount of projects for um, the education world. And really what we're doing there is uh, trying to create connection between the administrators, the teachers, parents, kids. Uh, there has to be a lot of collaboration, especially when um, the language skills are limited for all the family members. Now, historically, there always was sort of this idea of, well, we can get an aunt or we might have a, a language teacher who can jump in from time to time, or maybe we'll even allow the child to interpret, which is probably the craziest idea of all time. Oh, don't worry. I'm going to get into that later. <laughs> yeah, I have a good story about that as well. Um, so let's launch in. Uh, Patrick, what are some of the different services or types of things that um, a school might need sure. to support their families? Uh, one of the things I like that we did come up with uh, from our sales and marketing guys uh, when we are you know, going after school customers is uh, using a little bit of a school metaphor is we erase the language barrier. So we try and connect, like you said, those families who may not have English as their first language with the school where English is the first language. Uh, so the first place where that would come into play is written document translation. Uh, as you can imagine, um, if I remember back to my school days, I was sent home with flyers once a week. So let's say you know you don't speak English as your first language. What are your parents going to do with that flyer if it's only in English? So having that available in the language you speak is going to be very valuable. Yeah, I would imagine it improves outcomes. You know, if, if, if the content there is about preparing for exams or preparing for a field trip, or I know a lot of the stuff we do is related to support materials like, you know, the school bus policy, um, lunch menu forms, you know, pretty much you name it, the gamut, anything of the administrative stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and that kind of, then we can dive into, you know, levels of service where, you know, for maybe some of our more corporate clients where we have the translator and the editor on, maybe something that would work for schools is a little bit of a lower budget option. We know budget is always a constraint when we're working with schools. Um, maybe just having a translator only, um, or if you've got, you know, a big long document that you may be, maybe need translated, maybe just focusing on certain sections of that document to get translated. It's still better than nothing, at least in our opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a better approach. I know that, um, you know, we've written uh, certainly a lot of material uh, in our blog about the deprecation of the Google widget. And, you know, we do see that, um, you know, a lot of schools used to use this Google widget and you could tell because, oh, gosh, look, their website's in 72 languages. How phenomenal is that? So obviously with the deprecation of that widget, anytime a client is updating their site, they won't be able to implement it again. Um, and our recommendation has always been to, you know, think about, you know, what are the most important topics? You know, maybe you don't have to do all the news stories or the sports scores or things that are a little bit more fluff and stick to some of the things that are considered more administrative or important for day-to-day -day operations at the school. Yeah, absolutely. And again, with, with schools, we always notice that it always comes down to budget. Um, so um, just communicating any budget constraints that you may have is going to be very helpful for your uh, language service provider because then they'll match that level of service to meet your budget. Well, and also some of the things that happen are um, in terms of payments. You know, you have to, as a provider, we have to always understand that, you know, sometimes payments can't be issued until there's a school board meeting that authorizes the expenses. So sometimes timing is an issue. And that's also something that if it's clearly communicated to your vendors, 
probably going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Like communication is really important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that does bring up the next point too of um, working with a language service provider. Obviously, updating your documents year to year is going to be very important. Um, your 2020 handbook or student policies might be a little bit different than your 2019 policy. Uh, so what comes into play then is obviously the translation memory, which we've talked about at length on other episodes, but that's basically a database that houses all the translations that your provider has done for you in the past. So that's going to be your number one friend when working with a translation agency is the utilization of that translation memory. Yeah, that makes a, a lot of sense. That's a really, really important asset. Um, you know, all too often what we see with schools is they don't realize the value of that translation memory. It is indeed an investment to get started. In other words, that first pass. But your updates should cost so much less going forward. Typically, the changes aren't um, huge from year to year on those types of documents. Um but what we'll see is they'll either go with a low-cost vendor or maybe they'll do it internally. So every year they're redoing the document in its entirety. Um, you should really think about the tools that a provider can can offer that will um, you know save you money and time. Right. With with the use of, uh, utilization of translation memory, um, you mentioned kind of reinventing the wheel every year. That's something we won't have to do. Um, so we already have that baseline, and then we just need to fill in the blanks, basically. And it's also great for consistency because if you get feedback, um, you know, maybe in your school district, uh, your Spanish is of a specific dialect and you have specific ways that you want to say certain terms. Well, when that feedback comes in, that translation memory is updated. So not only are we talking about time and money, but consistency year over year, which is really a good thing. Um, Typically, schools need a bunch of different documents or project types. I mean, what are some of those project types that you've seen, Patrick? Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the common ones we do now is a lot of uh, birth certificates for students. Uh, we also do, like we mentioned, student handbooks, student policies, um, or just general rules for the school. Uh, but a place that I think we can improve on and schools can as well is kind of emergency notifications. I think having translations for those would be extremely valuable. That could be, you know, schools closed due to snow, um, you know, unfortunately now with the environment we live in, there might be an active shooter. Those kind of notifications, I think, are going to be very valuable to have in other languages. And even building on that, I think you could, you know, a lot of times the, the school notifications come in robocalls where it's like, hello, this is a message from so-and-so's school. Um, we're closed today due to snow. I think you can make those voiceovers in other languages and have that communicated, you know, for Spanish, press two if you want to hear this message in Spanish. I think that could be a huge advancement, and it's not, it wouldn't be that expensive to make those types of solutions for schools. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's actually something, a project that I think we can tackle, and I think it is something we're going to probably approach one of our school districts <laughs> and see if we can get that done. I know we've we've quoted on certain solutions like that, and I, I know... In practice, some of our school districts that we work with, and I, I just know because my son is in the local district, and I would hear a very long message in English, but then there'd be sort of a boilerplate sentence that would be said in Spanish that sort of just got to the heart of the matter. And I think even that is at least better than nothing. Right. Um, but there definitely should be some options in terms of languages and different situations, and it could be a good uh, a good solution for, for uh, our clients that are in the schools. It also covers maybe websites, something that you know we've done a little bit of uh, web material as well for clients, and we've seen again where they've gone from this, hey, our website's currently in seventy-two languages to something a little more, um, 
approachable because you have to maintain that as mm-hmm. well. So it doesn't make sense to do it in 72 languages. Take a hard, deep look at you know, who are who are our students, where are they coming from? And it does change. You know, I know we see here uh, in Glenview, we've seen an influx of uh, Mongolian students. So that's been a new language pair that's been added. Um, obviously, as situations occur across the globe and um, new groups of refugees are flowing into the United States, that's when we get you know, new language requests, obviously, um, you know, over the years, it's, it's gosh, back when we first started, it was a lot of Russian, it was a lot of Korean, um, Hmong in Wisconsin, where we were originally from, there was a lot of Hmong. And of course, those language patterns have changed and the language service provider has to be flexible enough to address it. Um, how about telephonic interpretation? That seems to be something that's very popular with, um, uh, school, uh, customers. Yeah. Uh, so what that is is basically um, you can put any phone in a room between two people, and um, within, uh, gosh, under a minute, I'd say for most languages, you can get an interpreter on the phone, uh, so they can go in both directions, speaking English and whatever other language pair might be needed. Um, there's some advantages to that. It is a lot cheaper than hiring an in-person interpreter, um, and that I mean, in-person interpreters are in comparison to telephonic interpretation, very expensive. Uh, But what's also nice about telephonic interpretation is uh, you pay as you use it. There's no monthly maintenance fee. There's no annual charge. It's if you use two minutes, you're going to get billed for two minutes. So that's a nice thing. Let's say you have a five-minute parent-teacher conference. You're not on the hook for two hours of an in-person interpreter. Absolutely. And also the idea of cancellations, you know, all too often we've heard from our customers that, you know, a parent has to cancel because either they have another child at home that's sick or, you know, fill in the blank. It could be one of any, uh, any number of reasons. And then they have to be, they have to pay for that cancellation, which is going to be that minimum of two hours and travel time. And that's really rough. And, um, for me, I would prefer to see each dollar that the school district has in their language budget actually go to language services and not cancellations. So I, I think TI really uh, meets that need. Um, and it's also this idea of on-demand. Like all too often, the meetings are not revolving around something like an IEP meeting that's scheduled or a disciplinary uh, situation or a parent-teacher conference. It might just be an immediate disciplinary issue or something that has to be addressed um, in a time-sensitive way with telephonic interpretation, you just pick up the phone and use the service. Right. And that leads into, too, we were talking before of if you're allowing the student to be the interpreter, that can lead to all sorts of hijinks and or problems when that happens. Uh, Let's say it is a disciplinary uh, matter. If uh, the teacher is speaking to the student, then the student to their parent or guardian they can leave out whatever they want. There's no there's no guarantee that they're saying what this teacher is actually saying. So, you know, they can play a trick on their parents, basically. So I actually have a, a personal short a story to share, and it was my uh, my uncle way back when, and this was at South Milwaukee High School uh, back in the 60s. My uncle got in trouble, and um, the principal said, now you call your mother and you tell her what you did. And, of course, my mom tells the story now. So my uncle called my grandmother and said, Mom, I love you. I really miss you. I was just wondering what you're cooking for dinner tonight. <laughs> and then he hung up, and the principal, now, what did your mother say? Oh, she's going to kill me. When <laughs> of course, he just found out that my grandmother was making pasta for dinner that night. So, um, you know, funny stories, but absolutely a concern. Um, it, it, this is the same reason why we tell 
employers that they have to use a service like this when they're doing disciplinary or reviews. Sometimes they'd bring in a third party from the factory floor or from somewhere in the office. And now can you have another employee in the room when you're discussing something sensitive or a raise? You know, there's all sorts of red lights there. You can't do that. I would say it's a similar situation with a student. Um, you can't have them interpret their own disciplinary meeting. Right, which luckily TI, telephonic interpretation, exists. It's pretty low cost, so that's an easy fix to that problem. So if we're talking about best practices, I think sometimes, you know, when we work with ad agencies and such, you know, they're used to graphic design and understanding what we need and when we need it. You know, they're they're a little more in tune. Um, with the schools, it's a little different. So I think it'd be a good 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 thing to do here to talk about some best practices. Mm -hmm. uh, so the first one that always comes up is, and we've talked about this for on any number of podcasts, is really getting our hands on those source files. Uh, we understand that it's not always possible, but that's going to be the cheapest, uh, most efficient solution for you. So we, we do understand those certain applications, like sometimes we receive report cards that you know the school is exporting out of whatever system they might be using for their grading. That system doesn't support translation, so we can't really get to those source files. We're kind of left to deal with the exports, which is fine. It's just going to cost a little bit more to get that file that we receive into a translatable file type. Um, another option could be to batch as many documents together as you can. Uh, that's just going to get you into per word pricing rather than the minimum range, which is always going to get you more bang for your buck. Again, we realize that's not always possible. Sometimes timelines are too tight to do that, but that's going to be a way that you can save a lot of money. And um, another thing is, is is looking into grant money. I know a lot of our clients have been able to get grant money at the state level. Uh, a few years ago, we attended the uh, um, Michigan TESOL conference, um, which is basically a bunch of um, you know educators that focus on language, so mainly from the ELL area of the school. And uh, one of the contracts that we won uh, during that conference was due to some funding from the state of Michigan. So I would certainly encourage uh, the administrators to look into what funding is available. It's super important, especially if you can use that to maybe get your program off the ground, get some of those base documents translated. So then you go into maintenance mode and it's less money going forward. Yeah. And like we mentioned before, let's say you get a large pile of documents in a language that you can't read. Um, Maybe you don't need to translate the whole thing. Maybe something like a machine translation pass uh, on the entire document, then maybe you identify those key sections that you do want professional translation on. That's just another cost-saving measure. You don't need to translate the entire document, but just those key sections that you know are going to be valuable for you. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Patrick, do you know of any, are there any sort of legal ramifications or is there anything that Know, require schools to, to provide any of this material? Yeah, um, I would say that it, it varies from state to state, county to county, however far up or down the, the flagpole we want to get. But different areas have different requirements. So it's definitely, as someone who's in one of these areas, important for you as the buyer to know. And then any, uh, any requirements that are required of us as a language company need to be communicated as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's important to... You know, also look at your documents through a lens of, you know, risk. And we've talked about some different strategies to save money, but know that with certain documents, it might need that higher level of service. It might need a translator and editor uh, to meet the standard of, hey, this has to be completely accurate. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, really the gist of this thing at the end of the day, it's really about, you know, doing what's right. And 
if you're trying to build community and trying to get people integrated into a community, um, doing, doing so through the schools, getting a better education for students is really that first step. I mean, I know me personally growing up in a household where um, English was a second language, uh, our interactions with the school were really important. Um, certainly, um, you know, my mom's English skills uh, weren't the best, still aren't the best. Um, my father was sort of the key communicator, but was at work most of the time. <laughs> so it was sort of tough to navigate some of these things like parent-teacher conferences. And I think um, having really understanding educators, and this is, you know, going back some years, um, was really helpful. And I, I think today it's much better, obviously. Yeah, I think having those translation and interpretation services at your fingertips as a school to get that engagement from either limited uh, proficiency English speakers or just people who straight up don't speak English, it's going to help them get by and feel like they're more connected to their, their child's education, which every parent wants. So it's going to just help them get by in as well. And it brings up, you know, one final point, which is the idea of heritage speakers, which I think is also something that's very common, I know, in, in my own community, in the Italian community, but much so in, in, I would imagine, others as well, where you have this situation where the parents may have a limited level of education in their own language. So these are important things to understand. Um, and we could do a whole nother show on some tips to talk about it, but understand the idea of register and keeping your documents simple. So I think it's really good to consider um, what the education level of um, your families are. Mm -hmm. And if it is lower, that is something that also needs to be communicated to the language service provider. If you have a lot of what are called heritage speakers, which means they, they may speak the language but have limited abilities in terms of writing and reading, um, another very important point that's i always joke with one of my friends from grade school all the way through college um he was raised speaking spanish and then he took spanish class uh, he's a year younger than me uh in middle school and got a c and so i always had to you know kind of give him a, a little bit of uh ribbon just kind of mess with him like hey don't you speak spanish he's like yeah but i never read or write anything so I mean, to your point, that that is something that does happen. In some cases, it's almost a disadvantage. You know, I, I studied Italian in college with some students, uh, some some friends that came from a household where they mainly spoke dialect. So it ended up being uh, a disadvantage because as they're trying to learn the language, they're actually trying to unlearn some things because they were coming from a dialect of Italian rather than um, you know regular Italian or true Italian. Um, Patrick, what was your number one takeaway from today's show? Yeah, I would say that um, the biggest reason to have translation and interpretation services in your arsenal as a school is to really get that engagement from your students and from your families. So you really want them invested in this, in this as much as you are. For me, it was this idea of having an open line of communication um, with your translation provider um, on how to stretch the budget. I think it's really, really important. We know that those budgets are tight, and I think you have to have a candid conversation, um, maybe even look at sort of the whole landscape of what your projects might be uh, for year one, year two, year three, and see if you can't negotiate some pricing or figure out some different levels of service on you know, the, the lower priority documents. I think that that's really important. So with that, we'll sign off. Uh, this has been Peter Argandizo and Patrick Daly. Uh, thank you for joining us here at Translation Confidential. Until next time, thank you. 